Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Sabah al-khair. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Yusuf Ahmed al-Rimawi, Nasser al-Mashni and Robert Martin. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of Australia's only radio program that is totally dedicated to the Palestinian cause in English language. We'd like to welcome our listeners on the AM dial and those who will join us later on 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. In today's episode, we will remember our great poet Mahmoud Darwish and we will also talk about the latest event from APAN. So for this and more, stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Nasser. Morning, Yusuf. How are you doing? I'm well, and today we have um, our uh, poet, Mahmoud Darwish, yes, a special right. episode on uh, Mahmoud Darwish. But before that, I believe you also have uh, some of the Palestinian events happening in our uh, territory. Tell us more about that, Nasser. Uh, of course, Yusuf. Um, and, and as we know, you know, we probably need three or four episodes for uh, Mahmoud Darwish. But just to give um, our listeners an update of where, where things are at on the ground in in Australia... Um, on Wednesday night in Canberra, APAN, the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network, held a dinner. In fact, closed off an entire restaurant. 120 members of the public. There was MPs, senators, ambassadors. Congratulations. Yeah, members of the media. Um, and all the conveners of the um, parliamentary friends of Palestine were there. And, and a parliamentary friendship, Yusuf, requires both a member of the opposition and a sitting member of um, the, the, the uh, incumbent government. Um, so Maria Van Vakenu and Mark Coulton, who's the Deputy Speaker of the House, a member of um, uh, the National Party, as well as Janet Rice. They're the three conveners of the, the Parliamentary Friendship Group. From the Greens. From the Greens. Yes. So the three of them, along with Ross Hart, who's um, uh, a Labor member, uh, they, if you will, presented uh, on their recent experiences because they all attended uh, this year trips to Palestine, mm. uh, facilitated by um, APAN and others, uh, and the Ambassador as well. And they spoke about their experiences, and, and if people go to the APAN Facebook page, you'll be able to see that, that speech um, live themselves and, and really get a benefit uh, of seeing firsthand what an MPs experienced and of particular import, as, well, as good as all of the talks were, and, you know, Maria's, Ross's, Janet's. One of the things that really uh, impressed upon me was Mark Coulton's um, uh, summation that it was, you know, quote, like apartheid. And, you know, this is from a, a member of the government, Deputy House of, uh, Deputy Speaker of the House, so a, a very significant person within the, the ruling coalition party. Um, and Mark Coulton and Janet Rice and Maria Van Vakuna will be at the APAN dinner on the 27th of August, Sunday the 27th of August. So in Melbourne. Yeah, in Melbourne. So our listeners, if they go to apan.org.au, they can buy a ticket, come along and um, hear from these people, meet us, Yusuf, as you know, and 
uh, come on and, and do their bit and support Palestine. And advocacy. see how they can uh, support Palestine. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations, Nasser. I think you're talking about a group, a uh, seven-year-old maybe uh, yes. group, group yeah, yeah. Uh, for putting together uh, more magnificent events well, for Palestine yeah. in Sydney, Canberra, Melbourne, and more. Well, just keep keeping the flame alive. You know, there's many people that along the journey have done such significant work. But, you know, to, to get to the point where we are now and, hmm. you know, if we continue that through to the, the tremendous work of people within the Labor governments, a hmm. Labor Party, to get, you know, now the Queensland, the South Australian, the ACT, um, state conferences to pass motions uh, uh, requiring or asking of the federal Labor uh, to recognise the state of Palestine. Um, By all uh, indications, the August, later this month in WA, Mm. they will pass a similar motion. Fingers Um, crossed. Victoria is scheduled to have their conference in March 18, and all of this is leading into the federal conference in in July of 18, um, where, you know, it's expected... Um, and it's believed that, in fact, the, the federal Labor Party's next conference will un, will support the unconditional recognition of Palestinian statehood, and this is um, in defiance of you know the leader of the Labor Party. You know, Shorten is a is um, though a member. Um, I thought I thought he was a member of the right, but he's in fact a member of the left. But he's he's a, a devout. When it comes to Palestine, he's a, he's uh, a hardcore Zionist. Mm, mm. But you know, to, to give him his um, political credit, you know, he's a, a shrewd political uh, deal maker and pawnbroker, and he knew, or he knows, on this issue, he's, uh, the party's moved away from him, so he's kept quiet. Yeah, so um, well, I don't think there'll be many uh, uh, Zionist supporters sending too much money Shorten's way based mm. on on what's going on there. Well, congratulations again, mm. and. Um, Again, we'll remind our listeners of our upcoming APAN uh, uh, dinner on the 27th. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they want to find out more, they can go to our website, AP, <coughs> apan.org.au. Org.au. That's <coughs> fine. Um, and I think I just wanted to, to, just as we close out that topic and before we start um, with our main topic for the day, Yusuf, one, one of the, you know, insidious nature of of just the way that the, the Zionist lobby works, you know. Um, Bob Carr, as we know, has, you know, worked, you know, very hard in the first instance to get Palestine recognised and uh, with Julia Gillard saying no, she wants to vote against recognition and then finally getting the Labour Party to, to abstain. That um, one, one of the, uh, the, the really, you know, sickening, crazy stuff is... Um, Dreyfus and Danby, you know, two Jewish members of the Labor Party, visited, you know, one of Bob Carr's uh, employers. And, you know, Bob Carr's employed by a number of different think tanks, etc. But this particular one was a, was a, a Chinese, a wealthy Chinese businessman. And, and they went there. And the purpose of their visit was that to seek that he should use his position as a financial support of the think tank to press uh, Bob Carr to stop expressing his opinion about Israel. I mean, you know, Dreyfus is the shadow attorney general. He was formerly our attorney general. Now, Danby, we know, he's the minister for Israel. We can accept yeah. that guy. But the attorney general, he, mm. he was our attorney general, the highest law officer on the land. He's our shadow attorney general. Based on polling, he's going to be our attorney general again soon. That this guy could take time out of his day to visit... Um, to a lobby former, for Israel. A, a former foreign minister's current, if you will, employer, benefactor, or whatever you might want to call it, somebody who funds a think tank, and say, we'd like you to use your position to 
I mean, it, it, mm. yeah, it really is sickening. It tells you how big and strong the Israeli lobby in Australia is. But, but the best part about saying how big it is and the sort of names they can call upon is that they're losing. Yeah. With Dreyfus going to see this guy, it hasn't stopped the, the movement up. Mm. Now, as we know, change doesn't happen on, on key uh, humanitarian grounds from the top down. As we know, Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher were still shaking F.W. de Klerk's mm. hands whilst Nelson Mandela was in jail. It's from the ground up, and this is the reality. The Zionists might be able to control the top end of town, but the humans are waking up, and they're sick to death of apartheid, of the killing of innocents, of the robbing of childhood, of the, of all of the, the misery that is Gaza, of refugee camps, of all the broken promises that Israel continues to perpetuate. Thank you, Nasser. And um, we will um, move uh, on uh, to our next and main uh, topic uh, this episode, uh, which is the Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish. على سطح المدينة واقف أيب مات ومتت العنقاء وانصرف الصحابة وحدي أراود نفسي الثكلى فتأبى أن تساعدني على نفسي ووحدي كنت وحدي عندما قاومت وحدي وحدة الروح الأخيرة So Yusuf, that was uh, Mahmoud Darwish. Let, let's let's talk about uh, Darwish and his impact to, for Palestine, because the reality is most people saw Palestine and Palestinians as you know towel heads wearing kafirs and terrorism and you know the the uh, uh, aeroplane hijacking of the seventies. But Darwish did something different for us. Mm. To do justice to a person like Darwish and a poet like him. Uh, it's impossible to cover uh, that within one episode or, or even three or four episodes. Mm-hmm. But what we are going to do maybe in this few minutes is to shed some uh, lights on stages of his life as a poet, as a politician, and as a journalist, because most people don't know that mm-hmm. Darwish was not just a poet. He was an important politician, and he or he played that, he played an important role in the forming the Palestinian yeah. political atmosphere, and also in uh, as as a journalist. Because people don't know just mm. just how important he was in setting the agenda. Yeah, yeah, and because uh, we're so we're so used to the the more photogenic, That's you know, right. Abu Omar, etc. That were more present in the face. Why don't, why don't we start backwards then and lead us off with you know his politics and the, the agenda setting that was uh, his hallmark? Mm. For example, the famous speech by Yasser Arafat in 1974, mm-hmm. the, the uh, Kalashnikov versus the olive branch. My brothers and I had a T-shirt. You know, today I have come bearing an olive branch and a freedom fighter's gun. Do not let the olive branch fall from my hand. Exactly. That is exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, Mahmoud Darwish wrote that speech, Mm -hmm. was one of three people who contributed to writing the wording of that speech in Arabic language. And Edward Said translated it into English. So we're talking about some phenomenal brains. Phenomenal brains that we Palestinians, I don't think, I can't see us compensating for the loss of or Mm -hmm. for the vacuum created by the loss of Darwish and Edward Said. So also in the uh, proclamation of state in 19, um, 
88 in Algeria, mm-hmm. uh, what we call the independence speech. Uh, also, Mahmoud Darwish wrote that speech for Yasser Arafat, the proclamation of statehood in Algeria, wow. in diaspora. Uh, Mahmoud Darwish also was a member of the executive committee of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, PLO. He was one of the, you know, when we talk the executive committee, we're talking about the highest 12 members of PLO. Then you have the Palestine National Council and then the other uh, entities of PLO. So the executive committee, very fierce competition to win a seat there. And he was the only member who uh, uh, Arafat had to beg to join because to join, you yeah. needed an, a brain like Mahmoud Darwish. So these are just examples of his official political career. But of course, it came after um, uh, an outstanding, outstanding from a purely literature point of view, mm-hmm. performance and life in literature. Putting that to a side, let, let, let's go from the journey from, you know, his personal experience from Palestine, you know, from Nakba through to mm. first getting published. Mm. Nasser, uh, as we speak, I remember from the last Israeli hostility and offensive on Gaza in 2014, a picture of a destroyed Palestinian home with Mahmoud Darwish words written as graffiti uh, on the destroyed or the remaining standing walls uh, saying, on this land what is worth living. And I think it's fair to ask the question, why Mahmoud Darwish? Why this quote, particularly on the ruins of the house? What was in the mind of the owner of the destroyed house? It's the brilliance of defiance of the Palestinian spirit. Exactly. Uh, Also, I remember when I went to Burj al-Barajne refugee camp in Lebanon, uh, reading the graffitis of Mahmoud Darwish, قف على ناصيات الحلم وقاوم. Stand uh, on the corner of your dreams and resist. Uh-huh. And I can give you more and more and more examples of Darwish's poems uh, on our walls. Mahmoud Darwish was born in 1943, which means he was five uh, when he became stateless, when his family were kicked out from their home village of Al Birwa near Akka to the north of Palestine. They fled to Lebanon. And a year later, they came back on foot to their village, Al-Birwe, to find it uh, in ruins. So they went to the other village of Deir al-Assad. And uh, here starts another journey for his family, for himself, growing up in um, in a time where the Palestinians of Israel were under military law, military laws, not civil laws. We're talking about a very long period, 14 years from 1948 to 1962, under uh, which the Palestinians who remained in Palestine uh, were not treated as citizens like the Jews who migrated to, Pal- to historical Palestine and gained Israeli passports. Um, so it was against the law to use Arabic language in public sphere, It was against the law to um, move from one village to another, from one city to another without a permit from the military commander. And the military permits were very hard to get anyway. It was against the law to use uh, printed uh, publications in Arabic language. Darwish spoke about his teachers in the 50s having to um, write curricula 
in their hands uh, because there was no printed material for education. We're talking about really military laws uh, that the Palestinian uh, of uh, that the Palestinians of Israel uh, had to live under. Of course, Mahmoud Darwish from that atmosphere started what later became the literature of resistance, Adab al-Muqawama. And it's interesting how the literature of resistance was not born in exile uh, where the refugees in refugee camps were, but it was born in homeland where the Palestinians were treated like refugees in their own homeland. And uh, in this atmosphere came the poem that introduced him to other fellow Palestinians outside or in exile. Sajjil ana arabi wa raqmu bitaqati khamsuna alf wa atfali thamaniyatun wa tasi'uhum sayati ba'da saif fahal taghdab. Write down, I am an Arab, and my identity card number is 50,000. I have eight children, and the ninth will come after a summer. Will you be angry? Well, it's a, a conversation in defiance back to the soldier, isn't it? Absolutely, and for that, he spent a year in prison uh, for defying the commands, uh, or the military commands, but after that, he joined the Communist Party in Israel because that was the only platform. Fair there was no Arabs, uh, Arab political parties. The mm. only platform for Arabs where there is a little bit of equality, a little bit of rights, mm. is the Communist Party. And from there... So to be clear, this is the Israeli Arab, Communist Party. The Israeli Arab members, yeah. The Israeli Communist Party. And from there started another journey. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, it took him to Moscow and from Moscow to Cairo, from Cairo to Beirut, from from Beirut to Paris and from Paris to Tunis and then back to Ramallah. Let's stay in Paris for a second because there's some fascinating – he had a fantastic journey in literature there. Mm. Tell us about his time in Paris, Yusuf. Well, Paris came after the invasion of Lebanon, Mm -hmm. the expulsion of the Palestinian Liberation Organization from Beirut in 1982. After 82, Mahmoud Darwish found himself having to find another place to go to and he had – the luxury of choice, unlike the majority of the Palestinian fighters, he could. He said, I could have gone to England, I could have gone to an Arab country, but I ended up in Paris. He actually saw the benefits of being in a country where you don't speak the language of, you are no one, anonymous. nobody knows you, an anonymous. Yeah. You don't um, have crowds around you everywhere you go to. Because by this point, he's famous. He can't, he was, wa- he can't walk an Arab street. Yeah, by by that point, he was really one of the most famous poem, uh, poets in the Arab world. And in Paris, he stayed for 10, uh, 10 to 12 years, and he wrote the highest peaks of his literature. وَنَعُدُّ الضُّلُوعَ الَّتِي سَوْفَ نَحْمِلُهَا مَعَنَا وَالضُّلُوعَ الَّتِي سَوْفَ نَتْرُكُهَا هَا هُنَا فِي الْمَسَاءِ الْأَخِيرِ فِي الْمَسَاءِ الْأَخِيرِ لَا نُوَدِّعُ شَيْئًا وَلَا نَجِدُ الْوَقْتَ كَيْ نَنْتَهِي 
كل شيء يظل على حاله فالمكان يبدل احلامنا ويبدل زواره on our last evening on this land we chop our days from our young trees count the ribs we will take with us and the ribs we will leave behind on the last evening we bid nothing farewell nor find the time to end everything remains as it is it is the place that changes our dreams and its visitors Nasser, uh, that was the first stanza from a poem he wrote uh, in Paris um, towards the 500-year anniversary of the fall of Cordoba and Andalusia. The poem was titled Eleven Planets to the Andalusia Sky. And uh, in that poem, uh, in that epic poem, he made the analogy between the last Arab city in Spain, Andalusia, Cordoba, falling in 1492, and um, the loss of Palestine, he actually referred to himself in that one. I am the Adam of the two Edens that I lost twice. And of course, the two Edens uh, are Andalusia and uh, Palestine. So Nasser, I would easily say, I know I am um, not independent when it a comes to a little bias. But I can freely tell you that um, had it not been for the Israeli lobby uh, in the Nobel Prize, Mahmoud Darwish should have won the Nobel Prize for Literature. Mm -hmm. So in Paris, he wrote his highest peak of literature. Well, we should say that. I mean, you know, I spoke, we started out first talking about how he transcended the, 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 you know, the mud that was terrorism that uh, the, uh, you know, it's freedom fighting as far as I'm concerned, but, you know, the mud that was terrorism from the the West's point of view and became this, you know, should have been a Nobel laureate. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's not my opinion. This is the opinion of Nobel Prize winners. And this is the opinion of people who are not pro-Palestinian nor pro-Israel, independent people who just read the work of Darwish, translated work, and uh, and come the to this, of it. Yeah, yeah. and come to this conclusion i also want to uh, uh, to shed some light on his role as a journalist yeah he became part of one of the arab publications in 48 in haifa uh, and he developed his skills as a writer not as a not only as a poet just writing journals and writing about the life, the intellectual life of the Arabs in the 48 areas. And uh, he met uh, Emil Habibi, the Palestinian uh, famous uh, novelist. He met Samih al-Qasim. He met also the elite of the Palestinians of Israel back then. And um, then came the 67 war. And it was actually, it was Mahmoud Darwish that made the first connection between the Palestinians of 48 and the Palestinians of West Bank after 67. He actually wanted to break that wall Mm. created by the war. And he wanted to defy the separation of West Bank Mm. from from their depth. 
yeah, whether yeah. in 48 or uh, refugee camps. Yeah, yeah. And he contacted Fadwa Tuqan, the sister of Ibrahim Tuqan, the one who wrote the lyrics of Mautani. And he asked her to write something for his journal in Haifa. And she did. And he, he actually had to look for her through mm-hmm. the, 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 the devastation of Naxa. Yeah. And he found her. He made the contact. It's a long story. Mm-hmm. She actually wrote him something and he published it in Haifa. Mm-hmm. And by, by doing this, this simple little simple pro- act, yeah. simple act, he broke the barrier. He created the connection. He created the, con- the connection between the Palestinians in Haifa and the Palestinians in Nablus and West Bank. Yeah, yeah. Also, his role in the famous journals in Lebanon in the 70s, the Shu'un Palestinian Palestinian Affairs Journal, and also he was the founder of Al Carmel magazine. The highest peak of when, when I mention these names, mm. probably they are new names to our listeners, but I want them to know that we're talking about really fine pieces of literature and journalism, re- really professional, like I would say zero error type of from language point of view. And you know me with language yeah, and also from other levels. So really highly professional. Because this is one of the things, I mean, when you go back and talk about the connection he made between Nablus and, and, and um, Haifa, this is without Facebook, without mobile phones. This is, you know, hard slog, door knocking. Do you know where she is? Because post Nuxa and post Nakba, there's no road. You, you're trying to find somebody. You need somebody to remember that that person walked past you. There's no even telephones. Yeah. We're, we're talking July 67, and we're talking that Israel uh, 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 started preventing phone calls from, from between. Yeah. But between. So he, it was a long story how he found her. She, they, he found her. He asked her to write her to write his mm-hmm. journal something. She did, and then came the first connection. But then we go to Lebanon and those journals. And I remember my father used to, they used to come out periodically every month. And, you know, we had a, a library of them. Um, let's speak to the, the caliber of those. I mean, you touched on it. People today, you know, everything's done with a thumb. If I can't do it with my thumb on my phone screen, then, then I'm not going to do I'm it. I'm not interested. Um, the reality of commuting, uh, communicating with the diaspora. Mm. And this was, you know, where, where he really excelled in, in the early 70s, et cetera, in, in Lebanon was, you know, formulating those publications, getting them out to the masses. Mm. Look, Darwish uh, was uh, an asset to the Palestinian yeah, yeah. revolution. And uh, it was uh, Yasser Arafat that discovered him. Of course, not as a, a man of literature, but as he wanted to give him the role. And in fact, the parity between the Arafat-Darwish parity, Arafat formulated and shaped the uh, political identity of the Palestinians in the 70s, 60s, 80s. And Mahmoud Darwish formulated and shaped the literary and literature uh, identity of Palestinians. So these two, these two created the revolution or, or contributed greatly to the, the rev- thinking revolution. The thinking revolution. And then it comes with, and, and then when you add to them Edward Said okay. and Walid al Khalidi and, you know, the intellectual weight of the Palestinian revolution in the 70s and 80s. So, uh, well, they took us from a despised and not known indigenous people. Mm. You know, um, the, the old will die and the young will forget. They took us from that mindset, that Zionist mindset, to where we are today. The old died and the young didn't forget. And the young on. grew up and actually conveyed the message to the younger ones. Absolutely. And uh, 
Darwish, by his uh, to his credit, Darwish never belonged to any political party. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was closer to the Communist Party because of his upbringing, mm-hmm. but he was not a member. He he would always give you um, Palestine first, the, the Palestine first, the non too political, and um, but nevertheless, his opposition was constructive always, mm-hmm. and he never agreed for his name to be used. By politicians. In fact, Gaddafi of Libya, Saddam of Iraq, in at least five occasions wanted him to visit Baghdad and Tripoli to give him the honor of basically the medal of Saddam or Iraq. But he, he, he didn't want to give credit to dictators to use his names, even if he was going to be awarded. And therefore, we're talking about a man of principle. We're talking about an an, an outstanding uh, man of literature and we're talking about uh, a a really great politician so it's like we started it's impossible to cover uh, Darwish in one uh, episode but um, I guess one thing we miss in uh, in his absence is not only the literature point of view but also the contribution the connection between literature politics media and uh, society in general. Absolutely. And and just as perhaps as we're closing now, Yusuf, the, um, my family and I visit, were in Ramallah only a couple of years ago. The the, the Darwish Museum, Museum. Is, is something really to behold, you know, whether it's his desk and the writings, but also um, just the caliber of um, uh, and depth of his work that's on display for, for visitors to, to Palestine. So if you do find yourself in Palestine, please make sure that you when you are in Ramallah, um, that you do get to the, the Wish Museum. It's something really that you'll enjoy. Uh, and I think with this, we've come to the end of our episode, uh, Nasser. Uh, we spoke about Mahmoud Darwish and we spoke about uh, the APAN uh, dinner in uh, Canberra and the upcoming uh, dinner uh, this month. 27th of August. 27th of August. Uh, uh, but like I said, the uh, discussion on Darwish and literature uh, will continue. We'll uh, revisit this topic uh, in future episodes. Uh, so thanks for being with us. Uh, another episode of Palestine Remembered and do remember to tune in next Saturday uh, for more reflections on Palestine until then this is Nasser and Yusuf and Robert wishing you the best of time and uh, salam. Mm-hmm.